You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I am your host, Claire O'Brien. I'm a nurse practitioner. And today I'm doing a 10 questions episode where I put up a question box on Instagram and just you guys ask random things and I try to answer them to the best of my abilities. Um, so I, every time I do one of these, I kind of laugh because there's always some theme and I want to say... Like 85% of you asked about some sort of skincare something this time. So I was like, all right, I guess maybe I should just do like a skincare dedicated podcast. And I probably should, but I don't know. That's just, that's a lot. Like, that's like saying, I don't know. I can't even think of an adequate description. Like, there's no way you could just do one podcast. I mean, I could have an entire series maybe of like 20 podcasts based on skincare, but, um, yeah, it's just a lot. So what I'm going to do is answer a few other random questions so it's not so super boring for people that don't just want to hear about skincare. Um, and then in between other random questions, I will answer a skincare question. So question number one, do you use protein powder and is it even worth it or are we just peeing out the excess? So protein, this is this is different. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that we do pee out the excess. Like if you're taking a bunch of supplements and multivitamins and all that, if you're not really deficient, then you are just going to pee out a lot of the excess. But um, yeah, protein is not like that. If there's protein in your urine, that's a problem. Um, so... I, I don't personally take a protein powder really for anything, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. I'm just, I don't do a ton of, um, I don't know, I, I'm not really lifting much, not even that you have to be doing a ton, but um, I, I just, I don't know. Right now I feel like I get enough protein. Um, I eat meat usually like once a day and tons of beans and like whole grain fiber stuff. And I mean, pretty much when I'm looking at a nutrition label, I look at the fiber and the protein and a few of the ingredients and go from there. So I don't personally take a protein powder, but I will say, um, an Instagram friend of mine, Amanda Howell Health, um, if you're not following her. So she has an just like a really unique and interesting background in public health. And then, but she's also done like some weight, um, like lifting weights, not like, well, she also does weight coaching, um, nutrition coaching, that kind of thing. And, um, she's, she just has multiple kind of interesting degrees and a really neat background. And she talks about protein powder a lot because, and I've heard her talk about this and this makes total sense to me that really the building blocks, we're all obsessed with this collagen and collagen powder and all of the building blocks of collagen. It's like zinc, vitamin C, protein. We have to have all of these things in order to make the collagen. So while we all want to take the easy way and take a collagen powder, it, that may be even more useless than a protein powder. Like I think a protein powder actually would be fairly helpful. Um for probably a lot of people. So it, it just, it's hard for me. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to put it in. Cause I don't love the taste of them in smoothies. And I asked a while back about a kind of a more flavorless protein powder. If there was one people knew of that would just kind of like dissolve into the abyss and not be, not have a flavor or a taste or anything. And I really haven't found a good one um, that I feel like tastes like nothing. So 
if I ever find that, I will share with you and I'll let you know. But I don't personally take a protein powder. No really rhyme or reason for that. Um, so next question was, I have so many questions about skincare routines and how to get on a skincare routine. And so I'll try to kind of summarize all of those questions with the one basic answer. So skincare, you don't have to have a 19-step regimen to be on a good routine. You just don't. And if you don't know where to start, there are three things that are critical for a good skincare routine. And I will tell you why. So vitamin C, SPF, and a retinoid are what's called the holy trinity or the holy skinnity, whatever you want to, however you want to call it. Um, and the reason for, for these three things is, is this. So this, what ages you the fastest? So everybody pretty much wants to protect their skin, you know, to look younger, to keep from forming wrinkles. We get hyperpigmentation, acne. And the thing that makes all of those things the worst is the sun. So the sun basically is your mortal enemy. Just think of it now. Like, I'm sorry that I didn't know that 20 years ago when I had a membership to the tanning bed. And I mean, man, like how embarrassing, you know, but here we are, here we are. So yeah, the sun is your mortal enemy. And what we're trying to do with these three things, so one, the SPF is essential to your life. Every single day, you have to be wearing an SPF. I don't care if you think you're going outside that day or not. Like, do you walk by a window? Do you drive a car? Do you have windows in your house? I mean, any of that, there is constant sun exposure. Not only sun, but now we are getting exposed to all of this blue light from our phone, and that is a different type of stress on our skin too. So sun is your mortal enemy, SPF every day and in the morning. And typically, if your makeup has SPF in it, that's not enough. So you know, like you'll see you know, these foundations or tinted moisturizers that'll say like contains SPF 50. Well, that doesn't mean it is itself SPF 50. It means it has some SPF 50 in there, but you'd have to put on like quintuple the amount that you would actually need in order to get that SPF protection. So often what I'll recommend, and, and now we know that um, the tint in like a tinted sunscreen or like a makeup sunscreen has its iron in there that's making it tinted and that is super protective from blue light. So not all sunscreens are the same. Um, your makeup is typically not enough sunscreen and yes, you have to put it on every day. So you've got to protect your skin with SPF. And then vitamin C, basically the simplest way to think about it is like a sunscreen type of booster because it's an antioxidant, but what it's doing is protecting your skin. It's very photoprotective and then it's protecting your skin from what's called creating these free radical things that damage your DNA. And that's what causes like wrinkle and breaks down collagens and things like that. So vitamin C, um, is an antioxidant that you want to put on topically. Yes, we want you to be ingesting enough vitamin C, but it's actually been shown that the topical application, meaning like putting it on your skin, that's what topical means, not just taking like a vitamin C supplement. So the topical application of vitamin C is very photoprotective, helps reverse, you know, aging, helps us build our own collagen um, and is a huge, huge thing now in skincare. The third thing is a retinoid. And the reason you want to use a retinoid is because it is constantly, not only is it helping you build your own collagen, boost your own collagen production, but it is basically constantly forcing your cells 
to undergo what's called cellular turnover. And so when I explain that to people, like I think, tell them like think of a stack of pancakes, okay? And so the brand new fresh baby skin cell is down at the bottom of the stack of pancakes and you want to get that good-looking young baby skin up to the top of the stack. And retinol helps that stack turn over faster. So the faster your skin turns over, the new, newer, fresher skin is up at the top. Um, it can help get rid of fine lines and wrinkles or soften them. Getting rid of is probably a stretch to say that with a, anything topical, but it helps with fine lines and wrinkles. It helps with pigment, melasma, um, help, certainly helps with acne. Like retinoids are a huge thing with acne. So, so those really are three things that um, if you're starting a skincare routine, that those three things are critical. You certainly can build on it from there. And I was just having a conversation with one of my skin people last week about this, but sometimes we'll have people come in with a really specific complaint. Like say they have really significant melasma or acne. It's really tempting to want to give them all the melasma products or all the acne products or whatever it is. But if they're not on a good basic skincare routine, then I will kind of make them start there. And it may take longer to get their skin under control, but what you're going to have is more sustainable results at the end of that. Because even when you start tapering them off melasma products or off of acne products, they, they've got a good skincare routine underneath and they can um, keep going with that once they've kind of gotten to a better place with their skin, if that makes sense. So vitamin C, retinoid, and SPF every day. And then we can go from there. Um, so the third question, in a previous podcast, I said that alcohol is a known carcinogen, but people say red wine prevents heart disease. Well, um, yes, the two, those two things do not have to be mutually exclusive. So what that means is the answer is yes to both of those. So is alcohol a carcinogen? Sadly, yes, it is. Um, does a very specific and small amount of red wine potentially help with heart disease and high blood pressure? Also, yes. So without like totally nerding out and pulling out all the studies on heart disease, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's important that we step back and say, okay, but at what point is alcohol carcinogenic? And at what point does it help with heart disease? Because... There's a tipping point for both, right? Like you you can have a little bit of red wine occasionally, potentially even every day, and have it be helpful with something like cardiovascular disease, um, while at the same time be potentially increasing your risks for things like um, you know breast cancer or head and neck cancer, or colon cancer. So it just depends on, you know, the person and, and what they're, what they're trying to prevent. And, you know, what, what amount of alcohol is quote unquote safe is like, I mean, gosh, it depends on who you ask and what day and what study they're looking at and safe for what, you know? And, um, yeah, it's so that, that's a hard, like that, it's like an easy, but also hard question to answer because the, the easy answer is yes, it can be both. But then the hard question answer is like, well, how much, how much alcohol are we supposed to drink? And what am I supposed to be preventing heart disease or preventing cancer? I don't know. I don't know. These are questions that are very hard to answer, but the answer can be yes to both of them. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, for myself, I'm probably not the model example of how much to, to drink and how often. Um, 
I do love I do love red wine, but it's really hard for me to have just one glass, like very difficult. And so I, I there are definitely periods in my life where every few weeks I'll step back and and I think about it. I kind of make myself reflect as if I was seeing myself in like as a clinic patient. So if I have two glasses of wine every night for the, for a week, that's 14 drinks in a week. Well, that's considered a moderate drinker. Like I'm no longer a light drinker at that point. And yeah, and there absolutely are periods in the year where I am a, a moderate to even even heavy drinker. Like if I think about pandemic times, oh my gosh, like, and this is so true for so many people, there was so much more drinking going on then than we normally would do because we were just bored. I mean, we were, we were bored. We were at home, you know, we're both working from home, which is rare. Weren't going out anywhere. So it's obviously much cheaper, you know, like that's, that is a nice deterrent for me. Sometimes I'll be like, I mean, I just don't feel like spending that money on drinking when you're out, but where you're you're at home and you can drink a bottle of wine for sometimes the price of a glass of wine. And I'm not saying that's good or normal or healthy. Um, Anyway, I don't, I digressed on that, I feel like, but oh, just talking about myself. So it's easier, I feel like, to look at things in a more objective way when you look at it over the span of like a week or a month, you know, because I think you can say, yeah, I have a glass or two of wine at dinner and that doesn't sound like that much. But when you look at it in a, a broader time frame of how many drinks per week are you having? How Okay, then how many drinks per month does that mean you're having? That's a lot. That's a lot. And so I definitely, um, you know, have to kind of actively watch and monitor how much I drink because I just, I enjoy it. I enjoy red wine. I think it's easy to drink. And I do think on some level it like can help you sleep better to a point for a lot of people. Um, It can also though turn the corner and cause a lot more, you know, anxiety and sleep problems um, than if you were not drinking at all. But I think that's how people get into the habit is why I'm saying that. Um, Okay. So the next question was for melasma. And there were a bunch of questions about melasma. Um, You know, what should we do? What are the best treatments? So, okay, I'm not going to talk about that really specifically. What I'm going to talk about with melasma is your mindset. And I think this is really important because melasma can be one of the most difficult and frustrating things to treat. Um, so, so melasma for y'all that are listening is basically darker kind of doesn't matter what your skin tone. It's just darker patches that are patches that are darker than your normal skin tone, whether you're white, brown, black, whatever color, you'll get these darker spots that are just areas where the melanin, which is what gives us our skin tone, no matter what skin you are, skin tone you are, but where that kind of, um, those little cells that make the melanin have grouped together and are making these little dark patches. Anybody can get it. It's certainly more common in women than men. Um, there are several things that really affect it. Heat, hormones, um, stress, alcohol, certain medications can make it worse. Um, yes, pregnancy can make it worse, but I think this is why a lot of younger women who have not had children and aren't nursing or anything don't realize that they have melasma because I think it used to be kind of advertised as a pregnant lady's problem. And it's really not. Um, I mean, mine was really significant way before I ever had children. So, So the reason I say about thinking about melasma as a mindset is because it's a chronic problem that will never fully go away. Like, let's say you have 
this is not even a good example because you could potentially make your blood pressure problems go away. But like, let's say you have high blood pressure and you start taking your blood pressure medicine. Well, great. Well, your high blood pressure didn't go away. It's just controlled. So you can't just stop taking your medicine because it comes right back. So that is very much what happens with melasma. So these dark patches pop up worse in the spring and summer, obviously, when we're out in the sun more. And people will spend hundreds and hundreds and sometimes thousands of dollars on peels and lasers and products and all this stuff to get rid of the pigment. And then they go and just live a normal life and it comes right back and they're super frustrated. So this kind of goes back to the whole, like, get on a good skincare routine before you worry about a million different products philosophy. If you're on a good basic skincare routine and you're really diligent about your SPF, because again, the sun is your mortal enemy, then I don't mind telling people to do a you know series of laser treatments or a series of peels and and spend the money to really get rid of the dark dark brown patches because then you can kind of get into maintenance mode um, and do better with it. So if you have melasma, first of all, I'm sorry, so do I. Um, yeah, just you have to think about it as a long term problem that you can't just get a couple of treatments, get on a medicine, and it's gone forever. It will always be there particularly if you aren't paying attention to your sunscreen. So wear a hat, um, get the sunscreen, the sun is your enemy, and there are good treatments to it but or for melasma, but it's just it's harder than that. So maybe this will be the fifth question. Gosh, there's so many melasma questions, topical lasers, peels, etc. So not... One is better than the other in this instance. It's just they're all a little bit different. Um, They all do different things. They all will show different results. And sometimes it takes all of all three of those um, to get to get where you want to be. But yeah, melasma is really hard to treat. So topicals would be products like hydroquinone, um, which is definitely a prescription Definitely not recommended for pregnant or nursing women. Um, there are certain botanical extracts that are really good for uh, melasma. So um, papaya extract, pineapple, those certain extracts that you'll find in brightening washes and brightening products that are, are really good for, for melasma. Um, certain peels that have like TCA, which is like trichloroacetic acid, or their hydroquinone peels, retinoic acid peels. Sometimes it's all three. Um, lasers, you do have to be really careful with. You want to be sure that you're getting a, a laser that's not going to make your melasma worse because that is definitely a thing. So the next question I love, because I feel like we've been talking a lot about supplements lately and just what's the point of them and do you need to take them? But somebody asked about thoughts on taking iodine as a supplement if you're hypothyroid. So I would never recommend a supplement like that without the person having talked to an actual endocrinologist because something like iodine in thyroid disease can actually be more complicated than it sounds. So... But first of all, if you live in America and you're listening to this podcast, it's highly unlikely that you have an iodine-induced or iodine-deficiency-induced thyroid dysfunction because all the salt we use typically has iodine in it. And they started doing that like literally decades ago. Um, So things like that, it's really unlikely that iodine is or lack of iodine is the cause. Um, But... It just can be so much more complicated than that. And I mean, I'm not saying, you know, do or don't. I'm, no one's giving out medical advice here anyway. But um, 
yeah, I just, I think it's, it can be really complicated. And if you're, if you, the overall message is if you are wanting to take a supplement for a specific medical condition, it may be totally fine. It may be recommended, but you've got to ask the person who actually knows. Like, I don't want anybody reading a bunch about supplements on the internet and buying a bunch of supplements and starting to take them because guys like it can supplements are such a big deal and the fact that they're not regulated by the FDA at all is should be terrifying to people but it's somehow not so I would never recommend you take a supplement for any medical condition without talking to the person who's actually helping you manage that condition Um, because not only could it not make it better it could potentially make it worse um So it's just, that's so important. And I'm glad this person asked this question so that we could kind of talk about the general messaging around supplements again. And if you haven't listened to my podcast um, with Lauren Manneker, when was that? Like four weeks ago before this? Um, It's a really, really good one about supplements and how they can be super helpful, but also how they can be really harmful. And we just take them... Um, we read about them and they're available and there's this mentality of it. Well, it's over the counter, so it must be totally fine. Um, so yeah, just please, before you take a supplement for a specific medical condition, please, please, please ask, um, whoever is helping you manage that. Taking a left back into skincare fluff town. Um, you guys really heavy hitting with the skincare questions this week. Um, a lot of questions about when is it appropriate, the appropriate time to get Botox? How much Botox do I need? How do I know when and where to get Botox? That kind of thing. So just like a high level overview of Botox, Botox and filler are two completely different things. So Botox is a neuromodulator that regulates acetylcholine and it stops the muscles from moving. So it is an intramuscular injection that stops literally the muscle from moving. And filler, and that helps prevent wrinkles. And I'll tell you in a second. Filler is a solid substance that actually does what it says. It fills in where we're becoming volume deficit. So filler is a completely different animal. It's a completely different subject than Botox. I think that a lot of times the terms are kind of used interchangeably and they're not interchangeable at all. So the reason Botox works and is helpful, if you think about folding a piece of paper, and that's, this is your wrinkle. Your face is the paper and the fold is the wrinkle, right? Okay, follow me. So every time you make a certain face, it's like folding the piece of paper more and more and more. So like every time you scrunch your eyebrows, every time you raise your eyebrows, every time you smile, you're making a little fold in that paper. And over time, you folded the paper so much that the crease or the fold stays there and it's really hard to uncrease it and really hard to unfold it. So that is why Botox works. So Botox stops you from making that face, not in a way where anybody would notice, frankly, like especially if you start getting it younger. Um, But over time, as you're not allowed to make that face where the wrinkle causes the fold or where the muscles go together and cause the wrinkle or the fold anymore, the lines soften and they may go away if you start early enough. So there's no really good specific time to tell people to start getting it. I mean, I have 22, 24, 25-year-old patients that may get more Botox than some of my 45-year-old patients because it depends on their sun exposure. It depends on their skin type. It depends on 
you know, what did they start a retinoid when they were in high school? Maybe this 45-year-old's never been on a retinoid. Maybe the 45-year-old never wore sunscreen. Or maybe they used to have a membership to the tanning bed, like myself, which is why, like, I have to get so much Botox. It's, a, it's insulting. So there's not a good time. The time is just when, whenever you start to feel like it's right for you if you want to do it at all um, and don't feel weird about it or bad about it. It very much is like highlighting your hair used to be um, in, I want to say like the 80s and 90s. And it was like very taboo and no one would talk about it. And I actually remember my mom saying, I think she frosts her hair. Like, oh, like I think she gets Botox. And now it's such a common like maintenance upkeep thing. Also, I'm recording in my car and it's like a little bit of a monsoon. I don't know if y'all can hear that, but I'm sorry. This is just uh, all of my roommates were like on top of me today. And I just literally was like, I'm leaving. So (laughs) in case case you're wondering what my frame of mind is, I'm in the car. Um, yeah. So Botox, get it whenever you feel like it. And everybody needs a completely different amount. Um, I've got probably my least amount of patients gets like 15 units. And then my most amount gets 75, 150. It just depends. I mean, there's the, the amount of Botox that we use also, this is really good for people to know, what we use for medical procedures is three to five times more than what you get in a cosmetic procedure. So the safety of Botox is well-documented, well-studied over decades. When we're using it for medical stuff, we're using an absolute crap ton. Like the most common amount is probably maybe 30 to 50 units, right, for cosmetic reasons. And then the migraine protocol, for example, is 151 units. So you're fine. You're 30 units. It ain't going to hurt you. You're, you're, doing, you're doing great. So, yeah, definitely um, whenever you, you feel like you want to get it is when it's the right time to get it. I cannot remember if I'm on question seven or question eight. I don't know, but we're just going to keep going. Hard-hitting, hard-hitting question. If given the opportunity, would you allow one of your children to be in a COVID vaccine trial? Uh, man, I mean, that is a really, really difficult ethical question. Would I allow my children to be in a vaccine trial, period? Yeah, probably. It depends. Um, depends on, you know, what the vaccine is for. What is the ac- actual risk to my children for contracting said disease that they're going to be in the vac- in the trial for? Like, I'm not, I mean, y'all know how much I love vaccines. And I'm not going to stand here and say, like, oh, I have no problem, you know, with my, with my child being in a, a vaccine trial um, at ages. And my kids are little. So my kids are five and three, if you're wondering. They're not, like, you know, 13 and 15. Um, so I, I don't know. Because right now, I mean, the risk to children contracting coronavirus and having any sort of serious outcome, serious issue, I mean, death, the risk of death to children right now is about a third of what the risk of death to them is like in a car accident, you know? So, I mean, it's really, really low. Kids are overall doing really well. Um, So I don't know, to be honest, that's really hard to answer. I mean, I will say, you know, a lot of people are talking about the long-term effects of vaccines right now. And like, that is a big hot topic with people not wanting to get it. The people that don't want to get the COVID vaccine are saying, well, I just need to wait. We just, we don't have any long-term data. We don't know if there are any long-term side effects. The risk of there being long-term side effects from a vaccine is really, and, and by that, I mean a side effect that happens 
two to five years down the road that didn't happen, you know, immediately after the vaccine is is exceptionally nominal. So most reactions, I, th- I want to say 95% of vaccine reactions and adverse outcomes that happen, because they do happen, don't at me. Like, I'm very aware. Do not be like, have you heard of the VAERS network? And you know you can't sue the companies? Like, yes, thanks. Like, first of all, you're... Anyway, oh my gosh, y'all, I can't. But So yes, most adverse outcomes or reactions happen within 30 to 45 days of the vaccine. So that is why with this particular emergency use authorization, the FDA wanted to wait 60 days because they wanted to give extra time, even more than what we normally see, to, to give extra time to see if there were going to be adverse outcomes at a later date. But um, like I think you'll hear Dr. Fauci said the other day in, in an interview, he's like, I don't think in my lifetime there's been a vaccine that was developed that had a long-term effect that we that didn't happen within the first 30 to 45 days. And that's pretty impressive because he's old. He's like 82 or something. Um, so there were a lot of vaccines that were developed in his lifetime. And, and that's really quite impressive. What we, what does happen though, is that there, you know, we have these viruses and, you know, 10 years from now, we may find out that all of these kids that had COVID, you know, are, are sterile or, you know, go deaf when they're teenagers. I mean, who knows? There's weird shit that happens after you have a virus that happens down the road. So I am I, I'm personally more concerned about the long-term effects of COVID than I am about the long-term effects of the vaccine. But just to be like very candid, I mean, yeah, I don't know if I would let my little, little kids be in a COVID vaccine trial right now because they're just really not at that high of a risk. Um, I mean, if it if it is studied, um, you know, would I let them get the vaccine? Yeah, probably. I mean, I really believe in vaccine and vaccine science, and I know there are um, risks, but typically the the benefit of the vaccine outweighs the risk. So that's a that's a hard hitting question, and man, I hope I I don't get lit on fire for that one, but we'll see. So. <laughs> this is going to be the last question because I, I feel like this is question nine or ten. I don't know. Maybe we'll do a couple more. House is on fire. What do you grab besides besides your kids, husband, and pets? Um, I will say it's really interesting because my mom's answer to this used to be, um, like I remember her growing up, she used to say that she would grab all of our home movies and then when DVDs came, my dad had all of our VHS home movies put on DVDs and then he had copies of those made and he, there was a copy at our house and then he took a copy to his office and put it in a fireproof safe, which I was like, wow. But I mean, to be fair, like that was literally my mom was like, that's the one thing like I couldn't, I like can't, couldn't function without. So I was thinking about it when I was thinking about this question. I'm like, well, ours are all digital. Ours are all digitized, you know, so already. So like I, I don't even have to grab my phone. Like it lives in my cloud somewhere. I mean, I probably would grab my phone, let's be honest. But um, yeah, I feel like there's not that much that I can't recover. I'm not super, super sentimental with things. Um, maybe like, I mean, I've got some of my grandmother's jewelry, you know, a couple, I mean, very few like valuable things like that. Most of my valuable jewelry, I actually wear, like I don't, 
I don't change jewelry very much. I mean, I wear my wedding ring and my bands um, every every day. I don't I don't take them off even when I'm asleep. Like I don't take them off. I don't wear earrings anymore. I've got two necklaces that I wear and I literally never take off. Um, and I just don't switch out my jewelry that much. So I guess I'd probably have to grab my, my like a jewelry box or something. Um, but that's probably it. Like I mean, I'd I'd probably let her let her burn. I mean, get out of there, get out of there and get to step in is what I would say. Um, yeah, that's, but that's just me. I don't have like a, gosh, maybe pictures. I don't know. Well, right now all my stuff is in storage. So it's not, I mean, I can't grab anything, but I guess when our stuff comes out of storage, I have one drawer in, um, a chest that's like pictures from, you know, like some, like wedding pictures, even though those, a lot of those are digitized as well. So like maybe some wedding pictures and there's like a shoebox that has like high school, college, you know, study abroad, that kind of stuff. But other than that, I mean, you can replace pretty much anything. You can't replace people ever, ever. So get on out. Um, all right. Let question number, who knows best advice for a workplace that isn't handling COVID or taking COVID seriously. That is tough. And I'm so sorry. I mean, you know, the, the, my best advice is just to try to be an example. I do think we're in this phase now where people are kind of feeling everybody out. Like, are you going to wear a mask? Are you, what do you think you're going to do? Are you going to wear a mask? Should we eat inside or should we eat outside? And I do think you can be an example without being like judge Judy you know, and just, you just have to do the best that you can. Um, I would hope you would be in a workplace where people were mature enough that they're not like making fun of you for those choices. But I mean, I know it exists. Um, I've been to a friend of my mom's who had to miss Christmas with her family because none of her coworkers would wear masks and they all got COVID and they gave it to her and then she didn't get it anyway. It's very sad. But, um, they were making fun of her for wearing her mask. And then lo and behold, they all got COVID and one of them in the hospital. I think one of them gave it to her mom who died. So there you go for heaven's sake. Um, but yeah, just, just be an example without, you know, without being judgmental, just that you feel like, you know, just trying to protect yourself and protect others. And, and that's what you, you know, you feel like you're doing what you need to do. And I hate that. I, it's, it's so frustrating because, now I feel like we can see a light at the end of the tunnel with this vaccine. It's like we shouldn't be in this position anymore where people are having to encourage their workplace to take it seriously. But it's sad. It is. Um, yeah, but here we are. So if you've been following Dabble Co. and me for any length of time, you know that I'm super careful with anybody that I endorse or any partnership or brand here. So the goal is always to share evidence-based medicine and things backed by actual science with our audience and our followers. So I was thrilled when BetterHelp approached me to do a partnership with them. So thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is an online platform that connects you to counseling in an incredibly convenient and affordable way, which I think are the two biggest barriers to counseling, access and affordability. So I was actually really surprised when I looked up their rates for counseling. They were a third of what I feel like I've ever heard and what I've personally paid. Um, it solves both of the problems with literally the click of a button on the internet. So I have personally seen the benefits of counseling. I know firsthand how important it is, and I know it plays a crucial role in mental health. So check them out, and they will know that I sent you, and you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling if you head to betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Um, so it's super easy, betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Thanks, guys. Advice for parenting littles. 
I'm going to end on this note because LOL, I have no advice. I have no advice to give you. Um, parenting littles is like terrorist warfare all of the time. Um, we had a really hard day at our house. Um, not really for any reason, just for some reason, one of my kids was like an emotional train wreck about kind of everything all day. And you just, I don't know. I mean, it's hard. I'm super thankful that my kids are back in school. Um, and I, you know, the data that's coming out about schools is really encouraging. And so I hope for the people that are listening and states and counties where your kids aren't back to school yet. I I hope that's coming for you soon. I do because that is so helpful. It is so helpful. And I know there are so many people that are so burnt out from homeschooling, trying to work while you're homeschooling. I mean, I cannot imagine and then do all the things. I mean, just run your house. It's, it's an incredible, um, stressful burden. And, I just hope that everybody gets the vaccine so we don't have to do this anymore. But yeah, um, advice for parenting littles. I have none. I have zero none. If you would like to give me advice, I am accepting it at all times. Um, I do. I I am pretty strict. Like, I occasionally will read like a James Dobson situation and he is like the most ultra conservative of conservatives. I take everything he says with like a major grain of salt because he can be conservative to the point of where I'm like, well, now you just sound like so antiquated. Um, but my dad's a pediatrician, my brother's a pediatrician. So, um, you know, I'll talk to them a lot just to kind of get their opinion, which I think is helpful. Um, just to kind of get their opinion on like, okay, does my child have like an, an issue or is this like normal three-year-old behavior? And they're like, oh, that's normal. And you are letting her like completely terrorize your home which is why we put the flip backwards uh, doorknob thing on. And thank you guys for your suggestions with that. So I think my biggest advice is that it is really freaking hard. And just know that the easier things, like throwing things at them, letting them have their way, all of that, like that's, you're not helping yourself or them in the long run. And the faster you and your parenting partner can get on the same page with that, um, the better. And parenting partners can be multiple people in the family. It can be a spouse. It can be a parent, an in-law. Um, and yeah, everybody, you got to get everybody on the same page because it's not helpful. Like, let's say your kid is spending a ton of time with a grandparent. And if the grandparent like doesn't have the same disciplinary philosophy as you, then that's not really helpful. Parenting little children is hard. Um, thanks guys. I have a really, really exciting and fun, um, partnership coming up in the next couple of weeks. I will give you a hint. It will involve, um, a big network of, uh, physicians and medical providers in Charleston. Um, it makes a ton of sense to be partnering them, um, brand wise. And I just obviously believe in everything that they're doing or would never be partnering with them in the first place. But I'm really excited about that. My next podcast coming out will explain, so much more of that and I hope you guys will keep listening and sharing and as always if you like this podcast if you like the information in this podcast please share it with your friends rate subscribe and yeah I'll see you in a week or two thanks bye